This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're bringing you a special chat with Georgia White, who has recently returned home to work alongside her parents on their sixth-generation family farm Taubriga, near Kula. Initially, her return home was to provide much-needed respite to her parents as they battled the drought. However, not long after returning home in late 2019, the drought broke, and as you'll hear, Georgia stuck around to manage a new challenge head-on. This episode was recorded with Georgia 12 months ago as she was just embarking on the mammoth task of managing their ewe flock through lambing when they had just scanned 179% in lamb. You'll hear how Georgia has used a combination of her family's knowledge and experience, the technical support of industry professionals and her own gut instincts to develop strategies for managing singles, twins and triplets in a great season. Local Land Services District Vet, Jill Kelly, caught up with Georgia on a cold morning at Talbragar over a hot cup of tea. Talbragar's a family place. It's been owned by the White family for a long time. Yeah, so I'm the sixth generation. Definitely got a long history and connection to the land here. Yeah. You're one of a few kids. How many brothers and sisters have you got? Yeah, I've got an older sister, uh, Sarah, who's just finishing her vet degree this month, which is very exciting for her. And my younger brother, James, who's also uh, doing Marcus Oldham at the moment by distance. Wow. So Talbriga and your parents have obviously done something right. You, they've managed <laughs> to channel you all into the agricultural slash you know, animal field in some way, shape or form. Yeah, well, we're all really interested in the farm. We're all very passionate about it. And it's just really good to have that sort of team attitude towards the farm. Yeah. And they've also then equipped themselves with, you know, a little crack team of sheep managers that they can entrust with the flock. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I think that's uh, both positive and negative for them because, you know, we all want to have our say, but I think it's we're all better for it in the end. Yeah. Yeah, So you've come home pretty early. How old are you? Uh, 23. What else have you done in that gap? Yeah, so I finished at um, NEGS in 2014 and then went up north for two years and gallivanted around on a few different places and learned a lot of things. And then I came down to Marcus and did the farm management course there, which is three years with your middle year being, yeah, your prac year. And so for that prac year, I went down to Tasmania Worked on a maternal composite place down there, which was really cool, and I learned a lot. Wow, you've packed a lot of experience into those, into your short years from the top of the territory to the bottom of the country. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible to bring home. And was the plan always then to come home, or did did drought or something else intervene in that? Yeah, so drought intervened in two thousand and seventeen. When I was starting at Marcus, we had the Sir Ivan bushfires and Dad's the captain for this brigade and he pretty much tackled that fire by himself with his small brigade for a long time and it took a toll on him, even though we didn't get burnt out, but it took a toll on the family and the community as a whole and then we had three years of drought 
which took a toll on mum and dad again and they were just trying their best to keep everything ticking over. But I just thought that, yeah, when we were looking down the barrel of another 2020 drought, I thought I would come home and, uh, and then it rained and then COVID-19 happened. So here I am. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> I, I think I'm going to stay on now. Mum and dad are winding down and I think they're enjoying having someone else stress about everything, every little minute detail. So this morning we've been for a big drive and you've taken me up lots of big hills, which is something yeah. I'm not used to. It's a beautiful place. Tell me about Talbrigga. Uh, so it is halfway between Cooler and Castless in New South Wales, not far as the crow flies from the cooler tops. So it's sort of that lightly undulating to very steep country. Uh, we didn't go into the pretty steep paddocks, but there are a few paddocks that I will only go into on horseback, won't ever take a bike into. Can be pretty steep, can be pretty nice and creek flats and yeah, very black clay soil. Uh, pretty much the one type, the whole place. And what um, sort of rainfall is average? We're usually around 600 mil rainfall average. And so, yeah, it's pretty incredible that we've already had 550. Yeah, just making up for the last few years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so average, yeah, 600, 650 rainfall country. Used to be, I've been told uh, many by many people that have been in the district for ages that it used to be just the most safe country around it was just always incredible and then it wasn't incredible for about 10 years and then it was good for one year and so it's yeah. got it's a bit more variable very variable since i've been alive tropic subtropical grasses grow quite well here and that kind of thing but we also get the southern winter rainfall so you sort of get the best of both or the worst of both you're a sheep producer predominantly Predominantly, we Dad would like to think that we're cattlemen that have been <laughs> given the raw end of the stick with the drought and we've switched, but um, the wool check has been very kind to us for the past however many years we've been here. Yeah, the cattle have been the passion, but we sold all the cows off at the start of the drought and uh, we've only just got bought back in, yeah. Yeah, but your passion lies with sheep? Yeah, uh, my passion lies with agriculture, but I'm pretty keen on sheep because that's what we've been doing and that's what I've been sort of exposed to and I've seen that you, there's a lot you can do in it. And so tell me about the type of you you run and, and numbers of you and a bit more about your sheep enterprise here. So we run a dual-purpose uh, Merino U from its Castles Park bloodlines. We pretty much predominantly use their rams with the odd dipping into one or two other studs, but not very often. They're quite big frame, large frame to merinos. I would say they're about 65 kilo standard reference weight. At the moment, they're about 72 kilos average, so they're um, in quite good nick. Not too major cutting wools. We get last year we cut six kilos of wool with 11 months wool on them, so it's pretty good but you know not like those big cutting types what sort of numbers are you, are you running 2500 ewes at the moment and 1600 lambs on normally we would have around 3000 3500 ewes generally also about 500 cows so one thing i noticed as we're driving around is just um the amount of paddocks you've got and and the infrastructure here with water and paddocks and things like that you've obviously done a lot of work over the years um to get to that point yeah, well, that was all mum and dad when they took over the farm. They um, started splitting up paddocks. That's pr been predominantly what they've been focused on is the infrastructure. When they came here, it was 
six large paddocks and a couple of smaller cropping and holding paddocks that were used for fattening steers. Uh, and now it's up to over 70 paddocks. So they've done an incredible job. Uh, each paddock is, has access to a trough, which is really reliable bore water. It's a really good system. Well, and it gives you so many options with running these little mobs you use, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely, yeah. We, we've been able to work out um, enough paddocks to split all of the mob sizes, the 20 mob sizes down to 80 and the tripletings down to 45. It's going to be over 25 lambing paddocks and probably four paddocks for the uh, cows to carve down on as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really going to influence your survivability, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's going to be like the most important thing this year is having small mob sizes. Yeah, and I know that's one of the things that the Lambs Alive program really focuses on as well. You've been involved with that for the last couple of years, have you? Yeah, my mum and dad have been on that since it started so I think that's two and a half years yeah there's a there's quite a few people involved and I think it's wonderful what do you think the benefits of it are how have you found it oh it's just given us a whole new perspective on how we should be well no one can tell you how to run your farm but people have good ideas and it's just such a good collaborative learning base where everyone asks questions and then people who have done the research, have the experience and are testing out these theories can tell you whether it works or not in their scenario and then you can all you can do is try and apply it to yours. Yeah, so I suppose just to summarise, Jason Tromp runs the Lambs Alive program and it's basically like coaching you through lambing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's all about increasing lamb survival. So it uses all of the research that Jason Tromp has done, <laughs> all of the research he's done throughout his career um, and a lot of other people, experts from across the country in different fields come and talk and answer questions about what you should be doing for lambing, should I be scanning or not, which is a question that gets asked a lot. I mean, Actually, an interesting question that got asked the other night was this lady from WA, she was there, they had the wrong style of sheep for their country and they were breeding too many twinners and they were just, they didn't have the ability to keep the nutrition up and she was asking how she could change that type back to a single bearing ewe. So that was interesting. We got a few interesting comments on that. So yeah. So driving around out there, I did notice in one of your mobs, half of them were shorn and half weren't shorn. What's the story with your shearing? What are you doing there? Yeah, so um, one of the things that Jason Tromph has inquired as or advised that might be a good idea to do is to run a trial with the twin bearing ewes to see if they will increase lamb survival with a pre-lamb shearing. So we've shorn 160 twin bearing ewes when normally we would just pre-lamb crutch and seeing what the impact on lamb survival i think i read something the other day that said that it increases lamb survival by 20 percent. i don't know where they came from so could be making it up but that sounds pretty good to me so we'll see if that works and it, it did tie in really well because it is six month shearing and we did there was only about five fleeces i think that were under 60 mils so um that was pretty good the wool was actually quite good the skirted fleece was 2.3 kilos average so that's not too bad I was pretty happy with it the quality of wool was pretty good it also could be a real benefit to us to do six months shearing with our non-milsed flock takes the fly burden off Mm. a little bit extra yeah so if it's going to work if we're going to increase lamb survivability use survivability have still keep cutting good wool I can't really see the negative in it 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you've, you have, you've landed home, it's rained and you've been delivered by your sheep scanner some really incredible scanning news. Tell me about that. Yes, actually probably one of the most exciting times to be coming home. Our total overall scanning was 179%. We have dual purpose merino ewes that normally cut around yeah, 19 micron. So it's pretty exceptional for us. Normally we actually do get quite high uh, scanning rates around 165%, but this is just exceptional. Yeah, so the mature ewes got around 191% scanned in lamb and the uh, maidens were 144%. So that is absolutely incredible. What it means essentially is that a lot of your ewes are carrying multiple fetuses, including yeah. triplets and quads. Did your scanner identify those ewes like those ones that are carrying not just singles and twins but the the multiples yeah so we um we did do uh triples and he just stopped he said actually said to me he said i'm just stop counting at three because it's it was just taking him too long what was a half a day job turned into a full day job knocking off after dark everyone was getting cold and hungry but so yeah we have 183 triplets that we're actually doing a national triplet trial with Jason Trompf with, which is really exciting, yeah. Yeah, because those um, triplet bearers really do take some extra care, don't they? Oh, absolutely. So uh, we've actually decided to do a pre-lamb shearing as opposed to a pre-lamb crutch because they're so heavy. Pretty exceptional. So we've actually done a decided to do a pre-lamb shearing on the triplet bearing used to try and just keep the weight down to a minimum so we actually got three kilos of wool off them so three kilos less as well as any rain that might occur all that water that gets soaked up into the wool that yeah we're just trying to minimize the weight as much as we can yeah so that's a that's a great idea and I think that was something that Jason Trump suggested when he visited wasn't it so yeah I think it was pretty much as soon as he mentioned it we all went yeah no we've got to do it yeah, yeah. sometimes you just need those external influences to come in and give you those little tips don't you like it's yeah because worth... we hadn't even thought of it and yeah. then he, as soon as he said it we were like of course you know so the trial that we're doing is the condition score trial and so prior to Jason coming I actually read some really in-depth study on the survival of lambs and the ewes and um, pretty much all I got out of it was that it was pretty heavy and well above my pay grade but pretty much <laughs> it just said that they don't know anything. If you increase the birth weight of the lambs then you, it would indicate more survival but it doesn't. If you decrease the birth weight of the lambs it's easier on the ewe but then more lambs die so it's just very difficult so the trial that we're doing is comparing use of condition score about 3 to 3.3 in comparison to ones around 4 score. Yeah, and so ultimately I guess the trial aims to work out how we can best manage these ewes. What condition score is it beneficial to have them in to lamb successfully? Yeah, well it's sort of like yeah. trying to do a lifetime ewe management but for the triples instead of just twins and singles and that kind of thing. And I guess that's where your money is. If you can keep those triple ewes alive, like that's a ewe and three lambs and yeah. she's probably your most fertile genetics to maintain in the flock. Yeah, absolutely. In you know, I think we'd all much prefer to just have them be twinning instead because the reality is they're just, it's not going to be better than twinning percentages. Like the, the best producers around are only still getting 190% 
out of them anyway and they're the people that really know what they're doing Mm. Um, and this is our first year at having a crack at it so we we can't expect to have the best but we can we can only try yeah and I suppose it's two-pronged it's an economic thing but it's also a welfare thing isn't it oh absolutely that's our main concern is is you welfare are are they just going to go down in the paddock and they they get foot abscess and preg tox because they're not eating because they've got sore feet it's just so sensitive yeah yeah and so what do you think led to that excellent scanning result do you think it was just the year for it or is fertility something you've selected for really heavily here over the years when we were beginning the base of our flock when my grandfather was um the primary management of the place he was in a closed flock we had a hazel dean base actually but it pretty much was a couple of producers around here and they just selected hard for twinning ewes and lambs of twinning ewes and uh, they did that in the 70s for a couple of years i think i think it probably ended in like the 80s mid 80s and then yeah we moved away because we actually blew a heap of wool off the ewes uh, moved away from that sort of line and went a bit more towards PEMCOR style and then got really complicated <laughs> style of you and um, now we're sort of going sort of midway back to the planar, planar type but all the people in the region that were involved in that back in the 70s they're really seeing high scanning results and high fertility in their merino use. Yeah so you mentioned there that you blew the wool off them can you just explain what that oh, means? They just started cutting a lot less wool than yeah. they usually would have. Because there's a genetic, like there's a trade-off, isn't there? there if you is select a for yeah. fertility, you get less wool and vice versa. Yeah. At the moment, you just can't have, have everything. That's you can't eternal, have your cake and eat it too. It's the eternal quest, isn't yeah. it? The perfect sheep. The perfect sheep. One that cuts seven kilos every year, has three lambs. <laughs> Stays alive. Stays alive. Score three the whole year round. And you get to kick back and yeah. drink coffee and watch them you know, from the Just drench it once and <laughs> give it a six in one and then that's it. You know? Oh, if only it was that um, easy. If only, yeah. yeah. So when Dad took over, he had that plain sheep and he got it more complicated, which obviously retained the fertility side. But then, you know, it's just... It, Having a complicated, more wrinkly style sheep has its own issues as well. Just survivability and toughness. Fly. Oh, my God, fly. (laughs) (laughs) This would be the first year of lambing when mulesing would be an option, but I'm pretty keen to keep the non-mules side going. I think our ewes can handle it now. They've been pretty dual-purpose sort of types. Yeah, I think we can handle that animal welfare side of it a lot better than we would have been able to a couple of years ago. And so why is um, not mulesing important to you guys? I have recently come out of Marcus with the impression that non-mulesed is going to be the way of the future. A lot of people a lot smarter than me and have a lot more years in the industry are pretty confident that this is the way that it's going to be. In terms of market access? Market access, just good image for the industry even though it's a two-edged sword you know they don't see the other end the fly compartment of it but yeah it's just all about image also I I really dislike mulesing as a procedure it's just ugly you know we always have cousins coming up and visiting and they're always really anti it and don't want it they just can't understand it so that's our target market Mm. why why are we trying to sell them something they don't want 
with what we've learnt over the years about breeding and um, flight control yeah. and you know timing of procedures and things. It's tricky, but there's the ability within management to, to sort it out without mulesing. Yeah, well, I mean, this year would have been like this. There's a huge challenge on our ewes this early autumn when we had heaps of rain. We've had 550 mils this year on the ewes and quite warm weather for a long time, and they handled it no worries. Mm. Um, we did have to get them in for an extra early crutching. That was another interesting thing that I found, that one mob of non-mules, same age group, just split in two. One mob was um, on good pastures, native grasses, plains grass and medic, and the other mob was on annual weeds and wild turnip and that kind of thing, and they got really um, daggy, and they were the ones that had the challenge, just from the different feed. Got them in, extra crutch. The other mob, no dag, no fly. Mm. So that's something that we need to be thinking about at certain critical periods of the years, what we're grazing them on. Yeah. yeah, wow. So you're doing great things in terms of animal welfare, not only for your mulesing, but also for your lamb survivability. That's really a great thing. Just coming back to your scanning, you know, I often go to farms and they, they don't scan, but they tell me that they're really happy because they just marked 100% lambs. If you mark 100% this year, you'll be pretty disappointed, won't you? I'd be gutted. I would probably probably take a step back and let someone someone come and guide me on what I'm doing. But yeah. Look. So without that scanning data, I mean, yeah. if you got 100% this year, it means you've lost half your lambs half essentially. Our lambs. So yep. it's a terrible result. It, yeah. Um, so that's. Tell me about the cost versus the benefit of scanning. Oh, it's just uh, like, so the nutritional requirements is almost double between twinning ewes and single ewes in that last couple of weeks of pregnancy. It's how do you manage that if you don't know? Like, that's that's it. How you're going to get, if you don't know if they're twinning or singles, you're going to get dystochia in the singles and pregtox in the twins. It's just simple as that if you're just managing them as the same. Yeah, exactly right. And so tell me about all these um, twinners and triplets and, and all those multiparous ewes this year. Tell me about some of the things that you've talked about with Jason and myself about how you're going to manage those ewes this year. Yeah, so with Jason and his Lambs Alive program, which we've been a part of since it started up, pretty much the basis of that is the smaller you can get the lambing paddocks, the lambing mob size the better your lambing percentage is going to be, the better the lamb survivability. And that's all about just mismothering and not having them, you know, not having 50 lambs born on the one day and then have a weather event come through and they'll rush up to the top of a hill and you can't find your mum and that's just, it's all over from there. We've got 1,200 uh, twinning ewes. They're going to be split up into mobs of 80 is going to be a struggle in itself to find the paddocks and the water. Singles, we're actually really concerned about them getting too uh, overweight in the lead up to lambing. So they've actually gone into a feedlot situation where we're trying to uh, moderate their intake. All of our pastures at the moment are just, it's pretty much medic, white clover and uh, wild turnip <laughs> is all there is and a bit of variegated thistle. And so, I think we did some sort of rough measurements. You've got like 
six thousand kilos of dry matter per hectare, don't you? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, and the moisture contents are ridiculous as well, which is another thing on its own. But it does mean that the sheep haven't been watering, so there's an opportunity in that for us to have paddocks shut off that don't have access to water, that they'll still be okay to be in with these heavy dews and the moisture content in the yeah pasture. So. Yeah, once the singles are out of the feedlot, they'll be going into two, they'll be split in half. There'll be maiden singles and mature age singles, and that'll be mobs of 250 each. Ideally, we would go smaller, but they're too fat. And if they have small mobs and they've just got free range access to whatever they want to eat. Yeah, they're going to get enormous. They're just going to get enormous. And at the back end of the pregnancy, we're going to have problems. Mm. So. That's all we're trying to avoid, try and get that use survivability, lamb survivability up as high as we can. And I suppose the other risk with all this lush feed, wet ground, wet feet is foot abscess. We've spoken a lot about that, but you've got a bit of a plan. Foot abscess, we've talked about all sorts of different snake oil <laughs> remedies. We've, you know, we've been recommended to use multi-min by some people, um, recommended to use a zinc sulfate lick. The other option is just foot bathing and we don't have the facilities for foot bathing at the moment um, as a preventative measure so the only other options that we have really is to just have good paddock selection be really gentle on our use not running them over you know rocky hard country not sending the dog in to go mad and push them hard really just looking after their feet and have a treatment care pack for when we're going around and having a look at the use to treat them for it yeah that sounds like a good plan i reckon and the hills and the rocks in some regard are going to be of benefit to you because there will be outcrops and places where they can dry their feet out yeah it well the sheep camps are actually going to be our savior which are usually the bane of our existence because they just want to hang up on the top of the hill and not graze the rest of the paddock but They'll be our saviour where the sheep can go to their camp, which they spend a lot of their time at. It'll be overgrazed, it'll be dry, and it's usually quite rocky. So, yeah. I'm quite amazed, Georgia, at the level of data collection that you guys do. You're sitting here and you've got folders and you've got spreadsheets and you've got tables, you know, about, yeah, yearly lambing percentages in different paddocks going right back. Is that something that you find really, really important to the running of the place? It depends on, you know, who you ask. Dad doesn't really, that's not the way he operates. He's much more, I mean, he's been here ever since he was a baby and he's been listening to my grandpa and his grandpa talk. Um, So he's all about the lay of the land and feel and that it's a fantastic way to farm and I've picked up a lot from that. But just coming out of Marcus, that data really helps put in stone what dad's telling me for all these years is that that paddock's an amazing lambing paddock because this and this and and then you collect the data and he's dead right yeah and so what sort of technology have you got on the farm to collect that data well pretty much just using scales we weigh a lot of sheep like quite often and record that uh, but we have actually given all of the ewes that have eids uh, even though it's not a requirement it's just something that i feel is really important you know, being down in Victoria, everyone's down there telling me, oh, it's only, it's only a matter of years anyway, so, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the bulk is the cost of those tags. Yeah. But you find you get um, value from the tag, like the data collection value outweighs the cost of the tag. Oh, it depends on who you are, but for me, for sure, um, and for our family, that's definitely something that we believe. We haven't done, obviously, sums because there's a lot of tangible 
stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But through the drought, I know you guys destocked a bit. You sold sheep. Yes. So with the EID and the data collection useful to identify poor performers? We pretty much just got rid of all our older ewes and just have a young flock. And then while the numbers were down at about half what we normally have, we thought now's the time to strike. We'll tag everything. And then recorded. So from from that year, we had all of the mobs that they'd been like if they'd had twins or singles or dry. So then we scanned everything on then and we've been collecting that, that data ever since. Yeah, okay. So it may help you in future times when It'll you want to... definitely help us in the future, which we classed out a mob of views when we were looking down the barrel of drought and put them aside in a mob to sell if, if the season really did go bad and thankfully it didn't. So we still kept on those. The interesting fact is that the tripleting views, when we scanned them, a lot of them came through as those classed out ewes. And I actually said to our class, what are you doing? You're classing out all our good ewes. He's like, well, I don't know. They've probably been tripleting for five years and they look all scabby and yeah. not great. But in reality, they're our best performers. So we never would have known. You know, you don't know looking at them if they're your best performer or not. Yeah, and so the big fat sheep with the beautiful wool that looks all fat score three or four. Yeah, and I mean, they're just bringing you singles in every year. Yeah. And, like they're doing a good job, but they're not your top ladies. Mm. They're not the ones that you want to keep. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so valuable. At the end of July, lambing's going to start. How do you handle lambing? What's what's your procedure in the lead up, I guess? Like how are you going to uh, manage those use? in terms of splitting them up and, and handling them pre-lambing and then what do you do for the five weeks or six weeks that they're lambing? Uh, four weeks pre-lambing, we'll get them, at the moment we're running them all in large mobs of 500 or 800, just trying to keep them in neck and trying to keep the, we've got oats in, trying to keep the oats grazed down. And so four weeks pre-lambing, we'll get them in, uh, give them all their animal health, annual animal health stuff, drench probably an LA if it's required we're definitely do it, doing an LA for the triplet trials just to eliminate that so that's a long acting uh, yeah long acting drench yep. yeah mm-hmm. sorry and then they split them up into smaller mob sizes maybe 160 or you know three lots of 80 in the one mob and then they'll go into a paddock close to where they'll be lambing mm-hmm. until probably for a week or 10 days and then we'll split them up further into their lambing mobs about yeah three weeks pre-lambing and they'll stay there for the duration of lambing till we lamb marking fantastic so yeah the emphasis i guess is just not to do anything too stressful in that real danger period for pregnancy toxemia immediately pre-lambing yeah and definitely taking everything really steady probably not using any dogs like on horseback i made a little pact to myself that i'd do all the stock movements on horseback not just for the sheep's benefit. No, yeah, it's, um, you know, good for the soul and good for Absolutely. the sheep. It's sort of you're only trying to go for it at a walk, so it's pretty hard to push a sheep too hard when you're only going the same pace as them. Yeah, that's right. In checking them, I know James Armstrong, he's really anti-checking lambing sheep. We have joined new lambs this year. We will be checking them every day just for dystocia and lambing problems, and it's just really not worth losing any of them but what we will be doing is two weeks pre-lamb and we'll be going in there every day just checking them getting them used to it um so if there are mobs that we're worried about like the single bearing use for dystokia we will be doing that getting them used to us going in there and if it doesn't work we just don't go in there but we try 
And then for the twin bearing ewes, we'll just be looking through the binoculars <laughs> at a, a distance, yeah. just monitoring. If there's a huge disaster, we'll go in there. But if if not, just leave them. It's just not worth it. In our hilly country, they just take off up the hill, big paddocks. They just don't come back and find their lambs, especially if it's windy and cold and raining. Yeah. Sounds like you've done a lot of pre-planning and a lot of thinking and you've got a really good strategy for lambing. So I, I wish you all the best and I think it will Thank go you. well, Georgia. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much too for coming. No worries. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.